Y'all didn't believe me. That's what you get when you cross a video and iTunes. That's a joke right there that you can get. So hopefully y'all enjoyed that online. Uh, We are uh, finishing our series uh, that we have been looking at the Minor Prophets. And each and every week of the last 12 weeks, and I'll be honest with you, I have never done 12-week sermon series. So this was new for me as well to see whether it would capture our attention or my attention and your attention. But in, in a lot of the discussions we've had, a lot of you have said that you've, one, you've never studied the Minor Prophets. Um, many of us have never heard sermons from some of the books of the Minor Prophets. Uh, so it has caused us to engage Scripture, maybe in a way that we haven't done it before. Uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to do that, uh, felt led to, was it, it, it does lead up, the Minor Prophets lead up to the Advent story, which is we're going to start next week as we think about Advent and Christmas. And so we kind of get a scriptural view of how the Spirit leads us as we, as we read Scripture. Um, most of the prophets are speaking to the people of Israel, warning them if they don't do this, they're going to go into exile. The last three that we've looked at, uh, Haggai, Zechariah, and then today we're going to be looking at Malachi. They are talking to the people of Israel after the exile is, is over. And so I think it's 722 uh, BC that the northern kingdom are occupied and they're taken into exile. And then I think it's 587 that the southern kingdom uh, is taken, is occupied. And so they're taken into exile. But then we can go and read in Ezra and Nehemiah how that the people of Israel return uh, and uh, Cyrus is. In, in power, or and then Cyrus leads to Darius, and all of that's kind of history to kind of get us to the point. Malachi is the very last of the minor prophets, and again, minor doesn't mean insignificant. It doesn't mean that it's less theological. It's just a smaller book. It's four short verses. I mean, four short chapters uh, of the book of Malachi. And so, if you've got your Bibles today, and I'm encouraging you to bring your Bibles with you to church, um, turn to Malachi. We're going to look in chapter four. We're going to read a few verses uh, in Malachi chapter 4. And what I'm going to do is start in verse 1, and I'm going to read us through verse 6. Look, the day is coming, burning like an oven. All the arrogant ones and all those doing evil will become straw. The coming day will burn them, says the Lord of heavenly forces, leaving them neither root nor branch. But the son of righteousness will rise on those revering my name. Healing will be in its wings, so that you will go forth and jump about like calves in the stall. You will crush the wicked. They will be like dust beneath the soles of your feet on the day that I am preparing, says the Lord of heavenly forces. Remember the instruction from Moses, my servant, to whom I gave instruction and rules for all Israel at Horeb. Look. I am sending Elijah the prophet to you before the great and terrifying day of the Lord arrives. Turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. This, too, is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I can remember... After Hurricane Katrina, I had a friend of mine that was involved in uh, a lot of mission work, uh, particularly for the annual conference of the North Georgia uh, Annual Conference. And and he was going back and forth to Mississippi quite often uh, to do 
mission trips and lead people through. And, and I remember we were talking one day just about all that he had seen. I had not yet gone down to um, Mississippi and seen any of the destruction. And I asked him, I said, when do you think things will return to normal? And I remember him looking at me and saying, I hope never. And I found that very odd. If you read Max Licato, uh, an author, uh, many of you have done Bible studies by him. He said this after 9-11. Perhaps the best response we can give to this tragedy is to refuse to go back to normal. I found it interesting last week. Al did a great job, did he not, with the book of Haggai? Did a great job. And nobody probably is going to remember this moment, but after he preached and we got ready to sing another song, Lauren came up, and she doesn't know I'm going to say this either. Lauren came up and began to talk. And if you remember, you said something to the effect of about going back to normal and that you never wanted to go back to normal. And I say that because to me, I sat out there and I almost wanted to come up and say this last week, which was, I love how the Holy Spirit got you there because that's, that's Malachi to me is to stop and realize Malachi is speaking to a group of people who are in a deep economic recession and a deep moral recession. And what he is saying to them is normal is what led the people of Israel into exile. And so they should have a firm resolve to never go back to normal. Think about that. Normal is what led them to exile. And so they should have a deep resolve as the people of Israel to never go back to normal. And so when you read Malachi, and I hope you all read it this week, when you read Malachi, Malachi uh, ask everything kind of through a series of questions. You're going to see a lot of questions. Some of them are real simple questions. Uh, is Esau Jacob's brother? Okay, so that's, that's a kind of a fairly answer, simple question to answer. But then there's deep theological questions. I wanted to lift a few of them to you today, if you will. Look at what it says in Malachi 1.1. How have you loved us? Malachi 1.6. How have we despised your name? Malachi 2.14. Why? I mean, why does the Lord reject their offering? Malachi 2.17. How have we made him tired? Malachi 3.7. How should we return? It's almost as if it begs the question, do they even think they should return? Malachi 3.8. How have we deceived you? In Malachi 3.13, what have we spoken about you? You see, the people are returning from exile, and I think that we can look at this. If you read the scriptures this week, you will see they just didn't get it. The tone of their questions, I, almost as you read it, I think of it. Now, I'm a fellow cynical person. If you're cynical, you'll be like, okay, we, we, get, we can get along with that. I think that they read it like a cynical teenager. And I'm not trying to just point out teenagers being cynical because we adults are as well. But I think it's that, okay, let me ask you a question. And I want you to prove 
what you're saying. That's the way that they're asking their questions. It's very antagonistic. It's very uh, um, argumentative. It's very uh, defiant is the tone of the questions that they ask. They're so out of touch with their relationship with God that they don't even realize they've done anything wrong. And so these questions can drive us as we read the book of Malachi. But here's what I want you to see when you read it. Malachi's burden is that nothing has changed. That's his burden to the people of Israel. Nothing has changed. The problem for him is that nothing has changed in their behavior. The same sin that led them to exile is rampant post-exile. In short, they have not learned anything. They haven't been humbled by the exile. In fact, if anything, they have grown more arrogant, more flippant, more argumentative, more rebellious towards God. And so God raises up this prophet that has a burden for the people of Israel to change. And I think that's a word that we, the church, need to listen right now. Do we get convicted by sin individually and also together as a church? Do we get convicted by sin, but nothing really ever changes? We make a commitment to do or be something different, but we really do nothing but what we've always done. This is the message of Malachi to the people of Israel. The issue for Malachi is that nothing changes. And so he brings forth a message that is consistent across Scripture. Repentance. Repentance. Listen to me, church. Repentance is essential for salvation. Repentance is essential for restoration and reconciliation. Everyone must repent that's all of us everyone must repent if you like the new testament more than you do the old testament let's look at a couple of those if you've got your bibles we can do a little bible study this morning look at mark chapter 1 verse 15 john the baptist now is the time here comes god's kingdom change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. If you don't like John the Baptist, look at Luke chapter 13. These are the words of Jesus. No, I tell you, but unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. Acts chapter 2, Peter replied, Change your hearts and lives. Each of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul, in Acts chapter 26, my message was that they should change their hearts and lives and turn to God and that they should demonstrate this change in their behavior. Repentance is consistent Throughout the gospel, throughout the Bible, 
It's absolutely essential for salvation. And some of you may say, well, that sounds contrary to the grace of God. But it's not. Because you see, as United Methodists, what we believe is that it's the grace of God that even leads us to the place that we know that we need to change. That's from the grace of God. The definition that we see in this is change. A word that we absolutely hate. But we have learned in 2020 that sometimes we have to do it, right? Things have to be different. What we can see in this verse in Acts chapter 26, it says that they should demonstrate this change in their behavior. Repentance. You know what it's not? Repentance is not feeling sorry that you did something wrong. It's not. Repentance is not penance. It's not, I'm going to make it up. That's not repentance. Repentance is not even reformation, meaning that I'm just going to try to do better. That's not repentance. Repentance is being convicted by Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and confessing that you need Christ in your life. And because you are convicted and because you confess, you are different. You are a different person. You change, you turn, you go the other direction. And a changed life is obvious. Anybody ever told you that they loved you, but you knew that they didn't? You knew it, right? Anybody ever told you that they were sorry, but you knew that they weren't? Repentance is this ongoing activity of the Holy Spirit in our life. And yes, when we think about it from a salvation point of view, we say, okay, that's a moment in time. But if you're like me in my journey with God, repentance, I keep, God keeps showing me things that I need to do and change and that I have to repent from and turn away from my ways. That's how we grow in our relationship with God, that we call that sanctifying grace. Let me tell you something, church. Now is a time a window for us to be different and us to change. May we allow Christ to break in and change us. Today, I have charge conference. You may think, man, why are you choking up over charge conference? Charge Conference, if you don't know anything in the United Methodist Church, it's just a business session of the church. And a couple of weeks ago, your church council, we got together, we did all the forms that we're supposed to do, and we have everything, all of our ducks in a row, and we're going to get together, and the DS is going to take our reports, and he's going to ask us, and he's going to accept those reports. And then he's going to ask me a question. And that question is, did you have any professions of faith? And for the first time in 18 years of ministry, my answer to him is going to be no. I want you to wrestle with that question. 
do we see lives changing? Reconciliation that we see in the scripture of Malachi, when it talks about parents turn to the children and children turn to the parents, it's not just that that's the only part of reconciliation. Because scripture says that God's going to restore all things. Scripture says that God is going to uh, bring back the, the, the tribes. And so God, God says that we're all going to be together. And so we, the church, have to look and think, how do we reconcile with our neighbors? How do we restore the relationship with our community? How do we take the gospel to people's lives and allow the Holy Spirit to transform them? And it may require, I'm not even going to say it may require, it will require us to do something different, be something different. And that should not scare us. That should excite us because God is faithful, right? And God will lead people and change people's lives. What led the people of Israel into exile, they should have a firm resolve not to ever go back to normal. You, church, me, church, we, whatever led us to this point, we should have a firm resolve that we will not go back to normal. That we will allow the Holy Spirit to change us, change our hearts, so that people come to experience grace and mercy and that lives are changed. Amen? I mean, that's what it's about, right? You go and read, and I think it's in the third chapter of Malachi. It says, talks about the, the coming of the Lord to the temple. It wasn't what they expected. It was a baby coming into the temple. I just invite you during this next season of Advent. Do not approach Advent. Do not approach the Christmas season expecting to get what you've always gotten out of it. Open up yourself. Allow the Holy Spirit to move in you. And allow God to move in your life in a very unexpected way. As we allow the Holy Spirit to change us. Amen? Let's pray. Almighty God, we come... thankful for all of your prophets and the words that they speak to us the message that they have for us where they challenge us and convict us help us God as a church to be convicted by your Holy Spirit to confess where we've done wrong but to change I know, God, what you've done in my life. And I know what you want to do in the